On today's episode, I'm talking all about swollen nipples and phantom pregnancy in dogs. I'm then moving on to nasal irritation and runny noses before finally tackling the topic of rawhide chews and jerky dog treats. You know, are they the best thing and are they safe to give our dogs? But first, here's the intro. You're listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Podcast, the show that answers all of your dog and cat health questions so they can live healthier, happier lives. And here's your host, veterinarian, Dr. Alex Avery. Hi, and welcome to episode number 16 of the Dr. Alex Answers Show. I'm your host, Dr. Alex, the veterinarian behind rpetshealth.com, where my aim really is to give you the information that you need to help you look after your pet to the best of your ability. And I'm so grateful that you're here sharing your valuable time with me. And if we're meeting for the first time, you know, if you enjoy the show, then make sure that you subscribe and share the podcast with your friends and family. I've got loads more valuable episodes lined up that you won't want to miss. Now, you can also get your question answered to be featured on a future episode just by heading over over to dralexanswers.com. And so let's jump into my first question from Katie, who writes that um, Maggie's nipples never went down entirely after her first heat at the end of February. So that's, you know, maybe kind of three months ago now. Um, We've never had a female dog before, so I thought that this was actually just normal. But today it got the better of me. And so I googled it and have seen a range of horrible things. What's going on? Well, I'll start off by saying that, so this is a young dog. They've had their season, you know, maybe three months or so ago. It's almost certainly going to be the result of something called a phantom pregnancy. Now, this comes about because the hormone changes in a female dog's body after they've had a season. So after they've been on heat, they're actually very similar, regardless of whether they're mated and get pregnant or whether they're not pregnant. So the hormone changes are very similar and that effectively tricks the body uh, into kind of believing that it's pregnant, even when there's no chance that that could be the case. That can show as a range of different things. So we can get changes um, in behavior. So that can be restlessness. It can be irritability. Um, We can also get a reduction in appetite as well sometimes. Um, We can then go on and get mammary development. So we can get enlargement of the nipples, enlargement of the, the mammary glands. And in some cases, we can actually get a lot of milk being produced. It's not unusual to have a few drops um, if you kind of squeeze those nipples and get a few drops of milk out. But some cases, um, some dogs can develop an awful lot of milk. And I think that's definitely the case if they're older, if they've had this a few times before or if they have had puppies in the past. We can then also get nursing behaviour in phantom pregnancy. So your dog might start to collect inanimate objects. So that could be socks, it could be toys, it could be shoes um, and and kind of nurse them, gather them together as though they're, um, you know, these objects are your dog's babies. And they can actually get very possessive over these things as well. Um, And that can, you know, even lead to aggression in some cases Um, and then in other cases we'll get an increased appetite and we'll get a weight gain as well so that might even trick you even further into thinking that your dog's pregnant when they're not now signs of phantom pregnancy they typically come on at about 60 days after a heat but that's really very rough and some dogs like um, Maggie here will develop them and develop her kind of mammary enlargement just as soon as they come out of heat. Others, it will come on a little bit later. So maybe three, three and a half months that they'll be developing these signs of a phantom pregnancy. So, you know, there's a quite a broad range and it's really not that uncommon that this happens. Now, for those dogs that do develop phantom pregnancy, these signs do tend to get worse with each passing season. That's certainly my experience of it. Um, So, you know, that's something else to consider. If your dog is, you know, becoming a little bit obnoxious, if they're becoming a little bit aggressive this time round, then next season, that's likely to be even worse. 
worse. Now, when it comes to treating this, normally, really, we don't actually need to give them any treatment. So it will sort itself out by itself without any intervention um, in a couple of weeks. So that would be the normal situation. Now, if you want to help that kind of resolution take place, you can increase their exercise. You can also reduce their food intake um, and potentially even reduce their water intake a little bit, certainly if they're having a lot of milk, because um, that will then uh, kind of encourage the body not to produce that extra fluid in effect. You need to be a little bit careful of that, but certainly increasing exercise and cutting back on their diet, you know, generally is all that it takes if they need any help at all. Now, for those dogs that are showing severe signs, maybe they're getting mastitis, and I'll come on to that in just a second, you know, or if there are other things that they're doing that we really want it to stop right now then there are hormone treatments available that we can give um, that will you know dry up any milk and it will reverse the signs of phantom pregnancy you know to be honest um, I haven't needed to use this in any patient of mine for a long time um, and it's not something we often need to reach for but the option is there if there are particular concerns you know also this condition does, like I just suggested, increase the risk of mastitis if there is milk present and especially if there's a lot of milk present. Um, and that'll be because the milk is being produced, but there's no puppies there to draw the milk off. So it sits there, kind of gets a, a bit stagnant, if you like, um, and that increases the risk of infection. Now, to know if your dog with a phantom pregnancy does have mastitis, you know, you just need to feel along their, their teats, along their mammary glands, if they're kind of very warm, if it's becoming quite firm, if they're red, if they're painful, then that's going to really mean that mastitis is quite likely and we should get them checked over to check that they don't need any antibiotic treatment for that. Now, when it comes to eliminating the risk in the future, really spaying them is what's going to need to happen. Um, there's no other way that we can eliminate this risk um, short of giving them uh, drugs to stop them coming onto heat in the first place, which isn't necessarily the best idea because that could potentially increase the risk of pyometra. And that's a, a condition that I've discussed several times over on the RPETS Health podcast or over at RPETSHealth.com if you're interested in learning more about pyometra. But, you know, spaying is definitely something that we should think about. Certainly, if you're not planning on breeding from your dog in the future, then getting them spayed is going to be a good idea. And if you're wondering about timing of spaying in general, if you've got a younger dog, you know, or if you've got a, a dog who's not yet gone through, either gone through a heat or gone through this problem, but you're thinking about spaying them and you're wondering about timing, again, head over to rpetshealth.com where I've got a, a full review about timing of spaying in dogs. Now, you know, that's said what the most likely thing is going to be in, in this young girl. Um, but swollen glands can also be a sign of other problems. So it can indicate mammary cancer. It's generally a condition of older dogs or certainly middle to older age dogs. Like it can be in, in, in a little bit younger in some cases. Pretty unlikely in Maggie's case just because she is so young. Now, we can also get swollen glands, obviously, if a dog is pregnant and they're actually coming into milk because they're about to give birth. So that's something to think about. And then mastitis, like I say, can cause swollen glands. Um, but that would be maybe in a dog who's already given birth um, and their glands are just getting a bit firmer than they have been um, or like I say a dog who's got phantom pregnancy um, and the glands have got infected that way so you know that's really a rundown on phantom pregnancy it's something that's really not that uncommon it often doesn't need any treatment but just keeping an eye that the the mammary glands aren't getting swollen they're not getting firm and they're not painful and everything should sort itself out of course if you've got concerns if you're not sure what's going on you know if you don't if, if the glands are swelling up if the the nipples are swelling up and you don't think your dog's been in heat then definitely getting checked over by your vet is going to be a good idea you're listening to the dr alex answers show 
And then before we get into the next question, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast episode is brought to you by the Our Pets Health Knowledge Vault. So this is the free pet health resource library, which contains a wealth of checklists, ebooks, calculators, and guides to all sorts of different conditions, all designed to help you and your pet live a healthier, happier life. So to get access today, simply head over to dralexanswers.com. My next question today is from Amanda, who lives in Mauritius, and she's got a little griffin dog, and she's pretty sure that she has post-nasal drip. Um, And it sounds like she's also got phlegm at the back of her throat. So what would I recommend to soften up this phlegm? and to, to kind of get rid of this problem. This little dog is also prone to allergies and the vet has prescribed an antihistamine. But um, Amanda's not a fan of all things chemical and so she's tried adding adding turmeric and cocoa oil to um, her little dog's diet. Um, she also notices that when she gives her a spoonful of honey, it seems to just help her to clear her throat, um, to do a little gag and all seems to clear up. So can I give some advice um, to help in this case? Well, I'll first start, start by saying I could do with some honey. So I'm suffering from a bit of a cold at the moment so apologies if I sound a little bit funny but yeah let's get into this dog's question um, and this dog's problem so a chronic nasal discharge you know it can be caused by a number of different problems and I don't think you know most of these are going to be even a concern in this dog but just to quickly run through them we can get fungal disease now that's more common in long-nosed dog breeds um, and and in tropical climates as well um that generally causes a snotty or bloody discharge and it's normally from one side at least initially we can get foreign bodies so something that's been snorted up into the nose um, like a grass seed or a, a blade of grass or a bit of stick or something like that again we tend to get a snotty bloody discharge again that is one-sided from one nostril unless multiple things have been snorted up you know each side of the nose now we can get nasal tumors so tumors in the nose and actually if you um, you know are interested in hearing more about that then check out episode number 14 of this podcast um, for a full breakdown of nasal tumours in dogs. And then finally, we can get allergic and immune-mediated disease causing kind of a chronic long-term inflammation within the nose, um, causing something called chronic rhinitis. And chronic rhinitis is also known as post-nasal drip in humans. Um, It's not a term that we tend to use um, in dogs, um, but yeah, that's kind of the human term So for this chronic rhinitis. Now, you notice that I didn't say infection there, and that's because infections in noses are generally not a primary problem so they're not normally the the main problem we can get infections up noses but they normally come because there's something else going on so because there is a, a long-term inflammation because of an allergic disease for example or because there is a foreign body up there or because there is a tumor you know can then result in an infection which will respond to antibiotics but they don't tend to be the first thing that we think about um you know and we're if a dog does have an infection and responds to antibiotics we still need to be thinking you know what is the the underlying cause of that so what can we do for 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 diagnostics how can we go about diagnosing what the causes of a nasal discharge are well you know really we're going to take a good history, you know, what's going on, how long has it been going on for, has it fluctuated and changed in severity, you know, did it come on very quickly, has it come on slowly, is it only a problem at certain times of year, we can do blood tests, we can um, take a swab of the nose, so stick a swab up the nose to have a look under the microscope and to see what grows in the laboratory, we could do x-rays, we could do CT scans, um, biopsies, you know, so there's lots that we can do and the nose can be a frustrating and difficult place to try and find out what the underlying problem is. Now we can also 
give a treatment trial. So that could be, for example, antibiotics and steroids if we think we've got an allergic disease or an immune-mediated problem, and then monitor the response to that. You know, and that's especially going to be appropriate if this is maybe the first time that the pro- that we're seeing the problem and it's not been there for a long time, um, or if it's very mild disease and there are no other concerns on examination. And really, the best treatment is going to depend on the underlying cause. You know, what's going on so that we can tackle that. And you can tell from all of the different potential different causes that the treatment for each is going to be very different. Now, I think allergies are going to be the most likely problem for Amanda's little griffin here. Um, you know, given the history, given the presentation, um, the fact that there's, uh, you know, general allergies and she's responded well to antihistamines in the past. So, you know, we'll start off the kind of what can we do to clear the mucus? Well, the first thing to clear any mucus that's going on in the nose or if it's kind of going on down, if you know, if your dog's got a cough and they've got like a chronic bronchitis, then the same applies. We need to ensure that the dog is well hydrated. Um, so that will just help make sure that the mucus is kind of nice and moist it's not kind of really thick and so it's more easy for the dog to kind of express it to expel it and to to kind of shift it and move it on so we can ensure hydration by feeding wet food maybe by adding water to the diet by putting ice cubes in the water you know maybe a little bit of flavor a little bit of a stock cube or something like that we want to avoid anything with a lot of salt um, so low fat salt uh, low salt stock cube or boiling up a little bit of chicken or vegetables or something like that just to give it a bit of flavor refreshing the water regularly is important running water is another option some dogs will really enjoy drinking from running water and that's where we can then use a a pet fountain as well um, just to help with that running water so ensure that hydration next up we think steam so if we're all bunged up then you know we feel better after we've had a kind of a hot steamy shower or if you put your head over a bowl of hot water that steam will just help again that really helps just get into the mucus to help hydrate the mucus and allow it to kind of flow and be shifted much more easily by the body so you know we can do this for our dogs by taking them into the bathroom while you are having a hot shower so that they're in that steamy room now there are also medications that we can give certainly in the short term to help shift the mucus so something called um, bromhexine um, you know may be beneficial we tend to think of that maybe more if we've got a really mucusy um, kind of airway so if they've got a really mucusy cough so like a chronic bronchitis rather than a nasal problem but that might be something to think about and then honey you know that may help soothe the throat irritation. It's something that many people will claim. You know, I suspect if it, it does have a benefit, it's fairly minor, but there's not really going to be any harm to giving that go. And if you feel it's beneficial, then, you know, sure, keep giving it. Now, um, as far as... Uh, turmeric goes well curcumin is actually the active ingredient that is found in turmeric and curcumin it does have an anti-inflammatory effect but and there's a big but here it's only found in very low levels in turmeric so to get any potential benefit dose uh, you know beneficial effect of the curcumin you'd have to feed an awful lot of turmeric so you know that's something to consider and I think just a little sprinkle here or there's really not going to make any difference and also we need to bear in mind that there's no real evidence of benefit as such in dogs specifically um, you know there is wider evidence that turmeric or not sorry that curcumin can have an anti-inflammatory effect you know but I, I wouldn't hang your hat on giving a turmeric supplement and that having any kind of really beneficial effect now if we're talking about drugs and i know amanda says she doesn't like chemicals but you know drugs are only uh, kind of isolated natural um compounds in many cases certainly not all some are completely lab derived but you know we purify things and we actually take away or take away potentially kind of the harmful or the unnecessary things and have something that causes kind of just a, a single effect now that's 
you know, obviously, um, you may disagree with me on that. And some drugs very much don't fit that bill. But antihistamines in general, they're very safe in dogs. There's no real long term problems that we need to think about in the vast majority of cases. And really, they're fine for long term or for intermittent use. So if it works in this case, then really, it's going to be much preferable to any other drug. So, um, you know, some drugs do come with more side effects. Now, if we're thinking of allergic disease, um, often we'll be thinking of steroids. And steroids do come with a higher risk of side effects. So I've actually discussed that separately um, over at rpetshealth.com. So if, you're, if your dog is on steroids or, you know, you're thinking about starting them on steroids because that is all that helps them, then definitely check that out. But, you know, antihistamines, they're generally very safe. Um, they work well. The side effects are very few and there's no long-term concerns. So, you know, it really depends on how much of a problem this is causing um, to Amanda's dog. If it, if they've just got a bit of a runny nose, otherwise they're happy, a bit of a cough, but, you know, we can mobilise that in other ways and that seems to just help keep things at bay. They're not getting any, you know, this dog's not getting any secondary infections because that mucus is building up. Then it may be that we don't need to give any treatment um, or specific treatment at all. But I think to say that we, you know, can completely disregard all treatment for everything you know is is maybe a step too far we certainly don't want to be giving anything unnecessarily and that's why i say if you know this dog is able to be managed without treatment fantastic but if we do need drugs um at set times or to keep things uh, you know under control and avoid potentially then intermittent antibiotic treatment or long-term steroid treatment then we really we should think about that strongly get your question answered at dralexanswers.com and now's the time when I just remind you that the information that I give in these podcasts is not a substitute for a consultation and examination with your pet's veterinarian and really should not be taken as specific advice for any individual pet. You know, if your pet is unwell, if they're injured or if they're suffering from any kind of problem, then talking to your vet is always going to be the best course of action. And then my final question today is from Sophia, who writes, can I safely give my dog low treated rawhide? So chemical hair removal, but no bleaching or splitting. Um, And what about pizzle sticks and other dried meats or chews? How about softer bones such as lamb ribs? Well, I'll take that last one to start with. So softer bones, you know, they are unlikely to cause fractured teeth than um, the, the weight bearing kind of long bones of our kind of cows and sheep. Um, but, you know, if they're raw, then they're still going to be an infection risk. Um, and really, if you, you're thinking of feeding raw or giving bones, then check out my free ebook over in the Knowledge Vault, which discusses whether this risk is something to worry about, um, you know, in a much greater detail. Now, if instead actually you're cooking these, so we're not, we don't have that risk of infection with raw food, then the kind of the ribs they're still going to be brittle and there's still going to be a chance of blockage and perforation so you know there's they're not something that I would tend to recommend at all now rawhide chews let's move on to those so they're processed skin um, generally of of cows but could be of sheep as well um, and they're typically a byproduct actually of the leather industry so not the meat industry of the leather industry and there's various ways that um, the rawhides are produced but generally they do involve a lot of rather scary chemicals um, you know, to separate out the hide layers, to preserve them, to cure them, um, to flavour them and colour them as well. Um, you know, so that, that's definitely something to think about. Now, um, Sophia's talking about um, low-treated rawhide. You know, it depends on what's used to treat that, um, you know, to, to kind of to remove the, the hair, you know, what's used to, to preserve it, to kind of keep it fresh-ish before it's then processed. So, you know, there's quite a lot there. 
you know, and that's really going to depend on the on the source and um, on the specific manufacturer as well. So if it's um, come from a long way, so if it's kind of shipped in from from China, which is where a lot of them are produced, then really they are probably going to have had a lot of chemicals to to process them and to get them to you in the first place. But if it's a local manufacturer, then maybe you're you know more aware um, of what's going into them and you can make that decision for yourself. Now, if we think of raw hide chews in general, apart from kind of all of these chemicals and things, you know, what are the other potential problems with feeding them because a lot of dogs will really like them well they do still have a risk of obstruction so I spoke about the risk of bones getting kind of swallowed and then stuck in the intestines but rawhide chews definitely have that risk as well um, you know really especially if large chunks are swallowed so this is going to be more of a concern if your dog is a real power chewer so if you've got um, you know a dog who's got a really powerful chew they really go for it when they get a chew and they're able to bite off big chunks um, you know even whole ends so if we think of a rawhide uh, chew a lot of them will have a knotted um, kind of a knotted end to make them look a little bit like a, a kind of cartoon bone if you like now if a dog's able to bite that off and then swallow it then there's a real risk that that could be um, causing an obstruction later on so it could get into the stomach um, and then squeeze its way into the intestines where it becomes stuck now even if that doesn't happen and it stays in the stomach it can take a long time for these um, these raw hides to get broken down into the stomach and so that can cause um, long-term irritation um, you know vomiting diarrhea all that kind of thing as well so you know that's definitely something to think about if you've got a power chewer now if we then move on to kind of raw meats and jerky treats well there have been concerns with some jerky treats actually causing kidney failure and death in some dogs now the cause of this is unknown it really does seem to involve treats that have been imported from China now we got similar things when there was a melamine contamination in some pet foods back in um, 2007 I think it was um, that hasn't been specifically implicated here and there may be other other problems as well that are causing this kidney failure but you know I think it just highlights that you know with a lot to these things there's potentially something that we need to consider that may make it dangerous now that's not to say all of these um, treats are dangerous by any stretch of the imagination again if you've got a locally produced um, you know kind of minimal chemically produced uh, a dried treat that you, you want to feed then fantastic now you can even make kind of jerky treats and things yourself if you're um, you know if you're that way inclined and then you know exactly what's gone into it now as an alternative to all these things you know what can you give your dog instead just to keep them entertained um, to keep them um, happy and to give them a, a kind of a re rewarding treat well consider kongs so the kind of the big rubber um, rubber toys that you can then stuff with food or you can smear with a little bit of peanut butter or something like that to really cause your dog to kind of work to chew away um, and to get a bit of a tasty treat reward as well um, you can use snuffle mats uh, you could use food puzzles um, licky pads so there's a number of other things that we can use that um, you know will keep your dog entertained it will provide them with a, a food treat a tasty kind of reward but will also provide a good level of mental stimulation as well which is very important for the well-being of our dogs so you know rather than you know potentially raw hides or some of these other treats especially if they've come from you know uh, maybe more uncertain less local sources um, you know really consider whether they are the best thing to be feeding your dog and then the other thing to think if we are giving food treats is you know treats uh, are great to give but um, you know rewards for our dogs um, doesn't have to be food it could be just your attention so rather than giving them a, a, a something 
hasty to reward them or to give them a treat you know give them your attention instead so play with them take them for a walk um also consider you know how much you're giving because if you're giving a lot of the treats then you know the chances of obesity is going to be much higher and obesity is a massive problem in our pet population that has a really significant knock-on effect in their general health their well-being and also their life expectancy so you know that's just another thing to think about when it comes to giving treats to our dogs so that's it for episode number 16 of the show i'd love it if you share it with your friends and family to help me spread the word to help more pets um, and remember too to head over to dralexanswers.com where you'll find the links and downloads mentioned in today's episode and while you're there you can also submit your question to be featured on a future episode but until next time i'm dr alex take care You've been listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode of the show where you ask the questions and Dr. Alex answers.